you know, my October did not look good, but the, the process of getting back up, getting going, and it's, it's not, it's not sexy. It's, it's actually kind of embarrassing how much more work I could have gotten done, but giving yourself that space to say, okay, the, the past is whatever. Let's try today. Let's try see what's going on today. Welcome to Perennials, a podcast about growing up, getting wise, and trying to live a good life. I'm Victoria Russell. Today, I'm talking to Zachary Cox. Zach and I met when he started dating one of my best friends since middle school, Jessica, and he and Jess got engaged this past fall, so I think he and I are going to know each other for a long time. Zach is a PhD student in the Disaster Science and Management Program at the University of Delaware, where he also works as a research assistant. And as an experienced disaster practitioner, Zach is interested in business continuity, disaster recovery, and community resilience, and how small organizations are navigating the COVID-19 pandemic right now. So Zach has been conducting a lot of interviews with many people since April of 2020, not just small business owners, but people from many different walks of life. And he's talking to them to understand how people are being affected by and how they are navigating this disaster of the pandemic. Zach interviewed me this past fall as part of his research, and in our conversation today, we talk about not only some of what he's observed and learned from talking to so many people about their experiences, but also what Zach has learned about resilience in his own life, from struggling with learning disabilities and thinking he might not graduate high school to thriving in his PhD program, and then at times still struggling now um, in the context of a COVID world. We also talk about what it means to ask good questions and be good listeners, both as interviewers and in our own homes, and some of the ways we have found solace during the pandemic. Zach and I tell a story about going for a hike outside um, with masks on back in December that turned out to be quite a trek through a swamp. And you can check out pictures of that escapade on the Perennials Instagram at Perennials Podcast. Zach, welcome to the podcast. Victoria, thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be here. Last time we did an interview, you were interviewing me for a research project that you're conducting, right? Absolutely. And, you know, I, I think we did it out of order. I went back and I, I listened to some of your podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, you are a very good interviewer. Oh, I think, thank you. I think I'm going to learn something today. I'm very excited. So you're working on your dissertation right now, right? And the interviewing that you've been doing um, since the pretty much since the start, it was pretty quickly after the pandemic hit the U.S., right, that you began conducting these interviews? So right after the pandemic struck, you know, um, my my supervisor, Trisha Walkendorf, and James Kendra started on getting this, this project up and going. Um, you know, you've got to put in the, the Institutional Review Board approval and, and get all that stuff. So we did our first interview on, I want to think, um, April 2nd. Mm-hmm. So about two weeks after, three weeks after the pandemic first hit. And between me and and I think there's four of us who who've been doing interviews. We've done about 320, talking to people about all kinds all kinds of things. So my interest is in small business disaster recovery, but I've talked to people about the whole spectrum uh, of experiences that they have, you know. And and I learned something from everyone, right? And I learned a little bit about humanity from everyone. 
just to give an example, there's one that, that sticks out in my mind often, and it wasn't a small business person that I talked to. It was a retiree who whose husband had died in November 2019 um, of a heart attack, and it was quite unexpected. And it really hit that family hard. And so when the pandemic came and it was demonstrated that elderly people were, were exceptionally vulnerable to it, her kids really... I don't, I, don't, I don't quite know what to call it, but strongly encouraged her to go on a lockdown and really prevented her from seeing her, from, from seeing her kids and from seeing the grandkids and saying, you know, you shouldn't go out and see other people. Not, you know, thinking about their mother's safety as the priority, because as she said, they didn't want to lose another parent, mm-hmm. but not understanding that there's so much more going on in her life. And so she's now got to sit at home in the place where her husband just died three months prior, four months prior, can't go out. And that really got me a glimpse into the experience of being in a pandemic and the different family issues that come up and why they come up, right? It's, it's a completely reasonable thing for kids not to want both of their parents to die within a year, but how that manifests itself is, is difficult. And, you know, there's, there's, there's no easy, you know, cut and dry, super simple solution. It's, it's the social process that is ongoing. Mm. It's very easy to jump to judging people for how they respond. And yet, not in all cases, but in a lot of cases, if you know more about that person and their situation, you might kind of understand why they make the decisions that they do, right? And I think that's that's really key is, is, you know, individual autonomy and agency and the ability to choose for better or worse, you know, depending on whatever somebody else's scale is or, or calculation is, the right path for yourself as, as an individual, right? Um, that's one of the things I've, I've really learned about this pandemic. Mm. And at the same time, balancing that with how your behavior affects other people, right? Because if you're just like, well, it's my prerogative to go to this party and then go to work and you're going to a job where people don't really have a choice (laughs) about being there or not, like your behavior also affects other people. I feel like that's just a very, that tension is so heightened right now, but it's kind of like a very human tension of like doing what you want to do versus being mindful of how you affect other people. And it's, it's so tough, right? Where what, are we in month 10 now? Nine I don't of the know. pandemic? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> when, when did it start? You know, that's another thing I've, I've yeah. really learned in this pandemic. It has no start date. Right. Um, but it's, it's these really tough questions that, that I've got from my interviews and my team has 300 different answers to as to how do you navigate balancing your needs against other people's needs. And there's no right answer, right? Maybe maybe the wrong answer would be to go around without a mask spreading COVID. But the, the right answers are much more difficult. How do you balance your social needs? Because there, there are legitimate social needs, especially mm-hmm. after uh, being social distanced for so long. And, and how do you balance those against safety? Um, and, and there's three, you know, there's, there's, there's a, probably a different answer for every, every person. Yes. Yeah. And you and I talked about when you interviewed me for that research, um, how I'm like just extremely safety conscious and risk averse and, um, and, and more introverted. So it, 
to me, I'm just like, I'm just going to stay home and lock myself up. But like my mental health definitely suffered and it's gotten a lot better since my boyfriend Martin came back. And I at least have one person that, you know, um, I'm spending time with and sharing just responsibilities with and, and all of those things. And it also causes conflict or tension sometimes because we have such different not such different, but sometimes we have different um, thresholds for what's safe and what what risks are worth it. And everybody has different rules for themselves and different contradictions and allowances that we make, right? You know, relationships are, are so interesting. Uh, you're, you're I, I would argue, one of the better friends of my now fiance, mm-hmm. um, who I got engaged to during this pandemic. Mm-hmm. Uh, partly because at the beginning of this, just a, a little bit of an aside, my my roommate, you know, back in, in G- October 2019, got a smoking deal. I think it was 300 bucks and she flew to Spain and she flew to Spain on like March 5th and was there, was hanging out, doing her thing. And then uh, Donald Trump, clo- you know, in his address, he, he made quite a, a blunder but um, closed the border or said he was going to close the border. So they all came home and they were all, you know, on the, the plane and somebody was sneezing next to her and mm-hmm. it was a big buffle. So I, I, I started squatting here at uh, Jessica's house with her roommates. And, you know, I'm, I'm really grateful to them that they were just, you know, it started off, it was like, you know, I'm going to give my roommate two weeks to quarantine and, and, and then I just never left. Mm-hmm. And now I live here. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> And so forever. The, uh, now it's forever officially. It seems like I will never not live with Jessica again. Uh, <laughs> but it's it's interesting the, the different ways that um relationships grow. I remember I had an interview with somebody who I think she, she was 80 and she was like she was telling me, you know, my husband's downstairs and he's gonna stay downstairs because we didn't we're not we would been together for 60 years by talking to each other all the time. Yeah. You know, and 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 redetermining what the boundaries are and I love my fiance very much, but if she's around all the time, we're not going to have, it's not going to be good. Right. <laughs> right. I love her like 20 hours a day. Yeah. Um, and then I need a, a little bit of alone time. And, and the the pandemic has, I, I, I love her 24 hours a day. I like her 20 hours a day. Let me, <laughs> but it's, it's, you know, re-navigating these things and, and nobody knew how to do that for being locked in a house with somebody all the time. How did you go about choosing the people that you were going to interview? You're going to have some sort of some uh, quantitative listeners and they're going to cringe at what I'm about to say, but I, I did use a convenience sample that I snowballed. And this is common in disaster response because it's, you know, say, let's use the Hurricane Katrina example. Say you sent a bunch of researchers to New Orleans. You don't necessarily have the on the ground connections or the ability to set up a rigorous sample and, and pull people so this is kind of what disaster does. Disaster science does a lot. Is it? It does reach out to the people who are most available. In this case, we, um, the research team, sent out an email to all University of Delaware faculty, staff, and um, anybody anybody who works there, and said, "Hey, would you like to join this um, this project?" And then what what I really tried to do was make sure that my participants felt listened to and had a good experience and felt like they, they had their story heard. And then I asked them if they would be willing to, to 
um, invite other people to join, right? So kind of snowballing it and saying, hey, you know, the Zach guy, he's nice or, you know, he's doing this research or, or whatever and asking their friends if they want to join in. Um, and that, I mean, I, I didn't, I wasn't nice because I, I wanted to get more people involved, but making sure that people knew that their, their voices were heard. Um, and I remember I had an, an interview early on and it was, it was this fellow who owns a consultancy. He's a, a sole proprietor. And he was saying, Zach, thank you for, we had a two hour call. It was quite a, a long interview. He said, thank you for listening to me through this because I haven't had a chance to talk out loud to anybody about my strategy, about what I'm going to do through this pandemic. And you've listened to me for, for two hours now. Obviously, I had gotten some benefit out of that. But also, he had gotten some benefit out of that. He was able to take something away and, and have reflected for two hours about what he was going to do. And so, you know, have, that was great for him. I asked him if he would uh, be interested in, in asking his friends to, to talk to me, and, and I, some of them did. And so just, you know, snowballing in that way. And eventually we got, I think, 400 signups and, and did 300 interviews. Wow. How many interviews did you do yourself? I think I'm at 85. Wow. That's a lot. Yeah. It, you know, but it, it. I, I really got to, this is all about developing, this podcast is all about discovering yourself and, and your identity. I really got to understand my identity as a researcher mm. in doing that. And, and that was a, that was a treat. That, that wasn't something that I, I had expected, but it was especially during a pandemic. I remember, you know, April 15th, right? Early pandemic, nobody knows what's happening. There's no, in, in emergency management, you call it like situational awareness. And I was, it was like, my life was really floaty. I was mm-hmm. just kind of floating along. I was existing. My, my, uh, the, the roommates I was squatting with, you know, every night we'd cook some dinner together and then we'd go watch TV. And that was like the only rigor I had in my life. And it was really hard to get work done, but I knew, you know, if I'd scheduled two or three interviews a day, I at least had somebody to talk to. I at least was, was in some way able to generate value for myself and for my, my, uh, interviewees. And that felt really good. Um, that was, that was probably my highlight of, of the year was just getting to talk to people and getting to understand what they were going through and, and some of them having some value in that. Um, that was nice. It was so interesting to be the interviewee <laughs> and it did feel so nice to have you. I mean, you are a very nice person. You were a very pleasant interviewer and you listened really well. And also just to have, I hadn't been doing a lot of reflecting because I was just trying to get through. And I think when you know that everyone is struggling in some way, I mean, it's definitely a spectrum, but it's hard sometimes to even reach out to talk to someone because your best friend might be having, you might be like, oh, well, they have it even worse right now. Like, you know, their grandmother is sick right now or they just lost their job or they're even more alone than I am, you know? So like, it's hard in, in this sometimes to have real conversations about what you're going through, even with people you're really close with, because you're so aware that everyone's carrying some weight and burden and struggle. Right. You know, in research, often there's this idea of incentives that you have to, or you should pay your, your participants something. And I've really latched onto that. I feel like, 
you, somebody's giving me their time, I should give them something in return. And, and I'm a graduate student. I don't have the ability to give anybody anything in return. But the fact that people found value in talking to me and they, I don't know if they enjoyed their experience, but were able to understand themselves a little bit better in this pandemic or in some way got some immediate value beyond my dissertation that will be published in a year and, and allow me to understand the pandemic better was really nice. It was really, um, it was obviously I wish I could pay them too, but um, it was nice to, to hear that there was some value in that. And to, you were holding space for them and connecting with them. I think, cause like people can, when a lot of people are feeling more isolated, even if they're not living alone, um, that, that connection and having someone just hold space and ask questions and listen and be interested is really important. You know, and, and that kind of gets at the, the big frustration of the pandemic and of social distancing is I want to reach out to these people and I want to go and hang out with, you yeah. know, I, I know that that crosses some bounds of, of, of research ethic, but just sit with them and be in their presence. I, I want, you know, that, that next level that Zoom doesn't quite get you. Um, you know, it's, it's a bit of a sterile environment. And, and one of the things I've learned is, is the joy of seeing people in person and the, I mean, I don't know if this is a mind blowing revelation, but that zoom doesn't get you. Yeah. It's not, it's not, not, it's not quite there. Yeah. Were there any assumptions you had going into the interviews about how people respond to this pandemic? You know, I'm really fortunate. I'll, I'll plug the university of Delaware again. And, and my supervisor in particular, Trisha Walkendorf, because she's taken me on a, a bit of a journey, right. From, from when I submitted my application to when I got in to, you know, going through two years of uh, re re revisions on um, on my my dissertation idea to get it to a point that had no assumptions, but rather was looking at things, right? So, and exploring. And so when I came in, you know, looking at the assumption maybe I had was that everybody needed a business continuity plan. And the key was to get them a business continuity plan. And And she really helped me to understand, well, that's maybe not, something that we, that, that you should be looking at. Maybe you should look at it in, in terms of an exploration of what, what is a business continuity plan to a small business? How might they in other ways be prepared? And so when I, you know, I, I defended my proposal in a way that was a little bit more um, open to, to different ideas and a little bit more, obviously a theoretical framework. I, I argue that beyond you know preparedness as it's normally defined what small businesses need to do is or are doing is redefining their internal processes with their employees with their suppliers with themselves and redefining their external processes with their community with the products they sell and and, and that kind of thing and so when i went to go do this research and when i started talking to people it wasn't they're going to be selling their products in this way it was well the pandemic has changed the way that service delivery happens, how, how has it changed that? And talking to people and understanding what they've done and not going into it with, they've done it in this way, but rather what, you know, just asking the question, what, what have you done? And that's been really liberating, right? That, and then I owe that to my, my supervisors and the faculty at the University of Delaware from taking me from a place that was, you know, asking questions rooted in certain values to taking me to a place that, um, is more open to understanding. Mm. 
curiosity, right? Curiosity. Yeah. And, and then, you know, you can bring it back, right? And you can say, okay, well, I've gone out and I've talked to this many people and this is what they've said and this is what I'm seeing over and over again. And okay, now we can start to make some conclusions or, or say something maybe a little bit more definitively than you could in the theorizing stage. Mm. And, and that's something that I didn't know I would get out of the PhD. I thought I was a smart, quote unquote, smart person before I came in. I thought I knew everything. I was ready to go. I was just going to talk to some people and, and yada, yada. But it's been a real um, growth in me to know that I don't know very much, that other people know more about their own lives. I know that sounds silly now, but maybe I was just really arrogant. I don't know. Um, but getting to a place where you can just go and ask people what's going on and that's difficult. Um, and I, I'm really, you know, I'll, I'll shout them out. Trisha, Trisha Walkendorf, James Kendra, Jennifer Trevetti and, and Lisa Rashar, because they've taken me, they're my committee and, and they've taken me to a place that is so much better at, um, at asking questions and asking questions that I want the people to, who I'm talking to, to answer on their own terms. Mm -hmm. When I was an undergrad, I, re I remember learning that lesson in my research classes of starting with a question and not with an assumption, right? And starting with a question and finding your thesis through research and exploration, as opposed to starting with a thesis and then trying to make things fit, fit that thesis. And I worked in the writing center while I was an undergrad and then after graduation for a bit. And um, it's one of my favorite jobs I've ever had. And that was a huge thing. Like everyone, not everyone, most students would come if they had a research paper and say, well, this is what I believe and and, and this is what I want my thesis to be. And I'd ask about what sort of research they had done or reading they had done. And it was none, you know? <laughs> so I think a lot of people are kind of trained to maybe even in school, the writing center pedagogy is like kind of different from classroom pedagogy of like, there's one right answer. You should know it already and you should know it quickly. And <laughs> um, as opposed to like, starting with questions and being open to not knowing and exploring and being curious and then maybe changing your mind. Um, or maybe you do still have the same thesis, but you have a richer, deeper understanding and maybe an appreciation for other perspectives as well, right? Absolutely. And, you know, it's important to, to ground your questions in an entire body of literature. I, I read, read things right? Books, papers, that kind of stuff for two years before I was able to get to the point that I could ask a question that was value, not value neutral, but that wasn't leading in some way that allowed me to go out and, and understand what people were saying for themselves. Because you can't just go out and ask people, oh, what's, what's going on in your business, right? It's got to be, it's got to be informed by something. Mm -hmm. um, even if that something is then put aside when you're in that conversation and talking to that person, mm -hmm. right? I'm not thinking about, you know, McKnight and Linen Lueke's community focused um, disaster recovery. When I'm talking to you, I'm thinking about, okay, well, what are you saying? Right. And then what happens later is I go back to the analysis and I say, okay, well that I have this recording, I have this transcript, this person is saying this and it ties into that idea. 
But when you're in the moment with that person, you, you've you got to know you're, 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 the job of the interviewer is to allow them to express themselves and allow them to reflect in the way that they want to and in a way that's valuable for the, the participant. Have you seen this, what you've learned about asking good questions and and leading with curiosity? Have you seen that affect other parts of your life or relationships or the way that you just approach people or problems or kind of in general? You know, I, I try to, right? I, like I said, you, you really have to have a background in the body of the literature and you have to really know stuff to, to ask questions that are, that allow participants to, to open up. And I, I try to, I'm not always successful in it as my, uh, my fiance, I'm sure will attest. <laughs> um, not because I'm malicious, but because I, you know, when it's, it's really hard and it takes a lot of focus and, and it takes sitting down in front of somebody and knowing, okay, well, for the next two hours, I'm going to be really in their world and really trying to understand what, what's going on with them. But when I leave that, you know, I, I, I don't have the concentration. I don't have that ability to at dinner as much as I would like to explore my roommate's world. I don't, I, I, I it's, mm-hmm. it's just, it's, I want to know about her day and I want to know what's going on and, and, all this kind of thing, but I can't, it's, it's so difficult to do it in the same way and to give her the total ability to reflect and express herself on, on things that, that I don't know about. And I I'd love to, that's, that's a great way to learn about the world. Um, actually, I think I do that when I travel a lot, mm. right. Where I just kind of shut up and let people talk to me. Um, and I think it's, it's worked out really well. Um, and that, that comes, that actually comes from the opposite place of naivety, mm. right? Where when I'm doing research, I ask questions informed by the literature. When I'm traveling and exploring a new place, I don't know anything about it. Or what I do know comes from one or two books. And I'm, I'm, I'm putting a lot of trust in that person to bring me up to speed on whatever their worldview is. And then it, it's a different process. Um, but, and, but I can't, I, you know, those are two very specific examples that I can't or I have trouble bringing to the rest of my life. It's so interesting because I was just thinking about that with podcasting and how I talk to guests on the podcast and like, do I always bring the same energy to, you know, my boyfriend Martin at the dinner table? You know, like I try to be mindful of sometimes with the people that you're closest with and you spend the most time with, it's hardest to be as present, as attuned, as open and curious and compassionate, actually. Well, and, and I always find I get so excited about something they said, I need to, I, I feel the need to interject. I'm like, oh, I know something about that yeah. too. Let me tell you about it right now. Not giving them the space to finish that thought for themselves. Mm-hmm. Uh, Obviously, it's something I've identified as needing to work on. You know, I've just identified it here. Maybe I'll be in 2021 goal will be to be a better listener. Uh, but it's, it's really, like you say, it's hard. And, and you know it from podcasting. And I think, like you said, some of it is literal energy and fatigue, like, because it does take a lot out of you to listen that, like to be a really active listener and to hold space for people for like 85 two hour interviews, maybe they weren't all two hours, but that's a lot. And sometimes you do just kind of like hit a wall and you're tired of listening or you're tired of talking or whatever. 
So, and like, we can't all live in that all the time. It's okay. We're humans, but just even noticing, like noticing when you are and aren't listening and, and at times when you are like, okay, I love this person or I really like this, but maybe it's your roommate. I really like this person, <laughs> whatever the case may be. I want to bring a little bit more of that energy. Can I try even just a little bit when, even if I am tired to turn towards them and open a little bit and not assume that I know what they're going to say next, or I know what's going through their head. Cause I think that can play into it too. Sometimes like, oh, I know this person so well, I know what they're going to say. I, I have a, maybe it's a, a masculine thing. Um, but I, I have a, a tendency to finish people's sentences sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I, I really hate when I do that. Um, and I, I got to stop. I think I do that too. So I'm curious also to ask you a little bit about, and that could, this could probably be a whole other episode, but I'm curious about your path to this PhD program that you're in, this research that you're doing, because you've mentioned uh, at times when we've hung out that your teachers would be, your high school teachers would be surprised, right? If you told them you were in a PhD program Um, or you weren't sure. The last time I saw you, you were like, yeah, I wasn't sure I was going to graduate high school. So I'm really curious, especially because this is a show about growing up. And I think it's so helpful for people to hear stories of maybe more circuitous routes or people being surprised by um, where they go and what they do, you know, and not necessarily just having had like laser focus and vision and advancement from kindergarten on, you know? <laughs> well, certainly it hasn't been a laser. It hasn't been a straight path. Um, I think the story you're talking about, my fourth grade teacher at parent teacher interviews said to my mother, Zach is very nice, but he's not very smart. And I, 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 I really hold that as a badge of honor now because and you were there, I don't think a piece- which is, that's important too, right? You were in the room when she said that. Yeah. She, she was describing my semester. And, so and, bad. and, you know, she wasn't, whatever. That was the fourth grade. This is now. I, I really hold that as a badge of honor, right? A PhD, I want to be clear, doesn't make somebody smart. It means somebody <laughs> was able to spend four years reading and writing about a specific topic. But when I think about, you know, the symbols of being smart, and I, I really, I really balance those two things together. Um, you know, had, had my fourth grade teacher known, I think it was shortly after that, I, they took me to a psychologist and I, I, they discovered I had a bunch of learning disabilities. And, mm-hmm. you know, part of, part of those learning disabilities was it was hard to take information from the board and put it down on paper. I just couldn't focus on, on those two or, you know, get that from there down. And, and you know, there are a couple other things, but, um, you know, building the skills required to, to do that. Um, I went to a really good university for my bachelor's degree. The weak point of that university was the receptionist at the uh, accessibility services department. She was so rude. And so I had an accommodation that would give me extra time on tests. And for my first semester, I would take, I would, you know, go up to the professor and say, hey, can I get my tests um, at the, the uh, accessibility services? And she said, oh yeah, sure, you mail them over. And I would go there and this gal would just make you feel like you were so stupid. Uh, like, you know, I, I forgot a pen or something or, or whatever, or I needed some help. And it was like, oh, I must be, you know, she would just make you feel like a moron. And it was such a bad feeling that I kind of decided, you know, I have these disabilities, but what can we do about that? 
beyond, you know, getting accommodations, is there anything that I can really work on and really focus on to get, uh, get through? Um, I should say, you know, I, I did almost fail high school. And I, the only reason I got into the, the university was they had recently upgraded to a university and two people had applied to the program I was in, the anthropology program. And so they took everybody who was willing to pay. <laughs> but it was this moment when I, you know, decided, okay, well, I, I don't want to be here. I don't want to be at the accessibility services department. The rest of the accessibility services department was great. It was this receptionist in particular. And so I really focused on how do I get stuff from what the professor is saying on into my notebook, right? And, and it was trying different things. It was trying, you know, uh, ADHD medications, um, that kind of thing. And, and, you know, I took them for like, whatever, a week or, or a month or whatever. The, it didn't work very well. It wasn't for me. But developing the skills required to, to, to perform at a high level academically. And it was really a, a, a moment I, I'm really proud of. I later went back to that accessibility services department and got a job. Hmm. And I was a note taker for other students with disabilities. And because I, I and, you know, I've, I've become, you know, part of, I'm really organized. I've, re I've really worked on the font of all my letters just to make sure that when I'm writing, it's very clear. I've really worked on if I'm in a situation where I need to take notes, I do it in a way that is, you know, I'm really able to focus and I make that, it's almost like, a, um, it's just, I don't know. I, don't, I, 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 it's become natural now, but it really took a lot of work. And so it was a real pleasure at the end of my undergraduate experience to be working with students who had disabilities. Maybe they were deaf. Maybe they had the same kind of things, but more serious than I had. Obviously mine were pretty mild if I was able to get over them in a few years um, or, or find workarounds for them in a few years. And, and be a pleasant person and mm -hmm. be you know, there empowering them. And yeah, okay, you know, uh, Jimmy, you need a note taker. I'm gonna be your note taker and we're gonna have some fun. And I'm gonna be your friend through this, you know, in, in the context of, of I'm also a paid employee. And, you know, I'm here for your success. I'm here for, and, and I'm, I'm also an undergrad. So how, how do I do that? Well, I do that by being friendly and I do that by propping you up. And that was great. Mm -hmm. um, that was one of my favorite jobs because I got to attend class with students and get to know them. And, and um, I think I got to take an extra 10 or 15 classes in my yeah. undergrad uh, for free and not have to do any of the, the homework or assignments. And so it was really this, this putting in the hard work, right? And of learning how to overcome disabilities or, or not overcome, right? Obviously they're still there. Learning how to work with them. Mm -hmm. And then giving back and making sure that when I gave back, I was the kindest, the most empowering person that I could be. Um, and I took that with me, you know, I, I before I, I um, did disaster stuff, I worked in group homes and homeless shelters. And so, you know, obviously different contexts than taking notes for students with disabilities in the university setting. In this case, it's, you know, um, at first I was working with uh, homeless mostly men at the, uh, at the homeless shelter in where I'm from. But then it was working with, with youth and working with them in a group home setting where I, I worked for like a year and a half, building those relationships, helping them, you know, obviously these kids have had some, a, a tough hand, right? Their, their parents, for whatever reason, weren't able to take care of them. Um, they've got all kinds of, of trauma. They've got a lot of things to overcome themselves and, and coming at that with like love and respect, 
even when it was, you know, even when they were throwing a grilled cheese sandwich at me, which pissed me off. There were the, you know, <laughs> yeah. I, I'm still a human and there would be bad days, right? I would, I would get sometimes really annoyed. Um, but c- coming back and, and trying to empower these young people to live the lives that they, they value. Um, and then, you know, and that, the disaster stuff really comes out of that, mm. right? So in, it kind of gets at, at, at what you were talking earlier about, but I was working at the, the group home when it was called the 2013 Southern Alberta flood. I'm Canadian. And uh, it was the most expensive disaster in Canadian history. And so I got a, a part-time gig doing some research, doing some interviews. And I kept hearing from people about how they had lost their jobs or, or were displaced and now had to work for a big box retailer. And um, they'd lost their ties to their community. They had lost a lot of pay. They had lost a lot of meaning. And so coming at that with that social service worker perspective of care and, and that kind of thing. And again, I was doing research, so it wasn't like I was, you know, rebuilding that business, but understanding that. And that kind of brought me here. I took a detour for a little while. I worked in, in corporate um, as a business continuity planner and, and learned the skills that are required to do business continuity planning and then brought it back here to the PhD bringing back in that kindness hmm. uh, that uh, that is needed. Yeah, it's it sounds like you have a certain resilience and you have this value of kindness. And I can see how having been on different sides, different receiving ends of unkindness, like that fourth grade teacher or that that receptionist can inspire you to want to do something different for other people, it can actually make them more bitter, right? Like it doesn't always send someone in the direction it sent you. And I'm just curious, is there anything you can identify in your life, um, a person or a practice or anything that has kind of helped you form that sense of resilient kindness? Well, you know, it always, it goes back to my mother, who is a certifiable badass. Um, just for, for reference, in November 2019, she went and ran the Honolulu Marathon. In November 2018, she climbed Mount Everest. Like, <laughs> and, and she comes from humble beginnings, right? She comes from a farm in northern Saskatchewan. Um, so she's really worked her herself, I'm not going to, you know, to, to get to where she is. And, and demonstrated that to my brother and I throughout our lives of, you know, things really are tough, um, but you get through them and you work through and it's unpleasant sometimes, but you get the job done, you know? And, and when we were kids, sometimes that would look like she was, uh, she would do annual reports, um, for, for companies who needed to make annual reports. And, and part of that is going to the printer and, and she would spend, the night there doing press proofs and making, you know, this is the nineties. So making sure that physical document looked the way she wanted it to. And my brother and I would fall asleep in the, um, in the boardroom. We thought it was great. We thought it was super cool. Cause there was a snack bar and you could have <laughs> an unlimited number of Kit Kats and pop. Um, but it really showed me from an early age, like you hustle and it's tough and it's not necessarily pleasant to work overnight at the, uh, the uh, printers but you get it done and then you, you know, get to go. And, and she demonstrated this 
much more, you know, uh, as she built up a little bit of a reputation and, and I found some success. And then you go out and you, you get to help people and you get to have fun for yourself. Um, and so watching, you know, it's, it's that power of example, right? It was like, what, you know, I guess mom can do it. So I'm not going to be here being a sourpuss, um, not doing it because what, you know, any, anytime I was unemployed for a, a stretch of a few months or so, she really got on my case, mm-hmm. uh, which at the time I was unimpressed by, but it was, it was really, you know, she, she, I remember in the 11th grade, I, I wanted to sit at home and play video games and she really got, got on me. She said, you know, you need to understand that this is not a lifestyle that you can have, right? And, and you need to go out and you need to go and get a job at, again, I'm Canadian. So Tim Hortons. <laughs> you and made that up. <laughs> I, I worked at Tim Hortons for, for uh, a couple, you know, four or five months or whatever. And it was miserable. Mm-hmm. right? And people have no respect for you and your boss has no respect for you and you're working. And, and if you don't clock in properly, you're not getting paid for that day. And um, it was just miserable. And it was, it really drove home the point that if I don't want that life, I need to change something. I need to up my game. And I, I you know, it's a slow process. I, I updated up, up my game to the minimum level to get into university. And then from there, but really, really articulating like Zach, if you don't put your act together, you will be the Tim Hortons worker for the rest of your life. And, you know, you worked there for four months in your, in your 11th grade summer and it sucked. Imagine what it would be like when you were 30, right? It would be really, you know, there's, that would just suck. Mm. So uh, my mother, Evelyn is, uh, if she ever listens to this, amazing mother, mother of the year. (laughs) I'm not going to lie. I thought it might be your mom, but I didn't, I didn't want to lead with an assumption. So I kept it an open question. Well done. Yes, it was, it was <laughs> my mother. Um, yeah. 100% through and through. The week that we're recording this has been a, another doozy here um, in the U S COVID is still raging on. We have a vaccine, but you know, it's going to take time for people to get vaccinated and there's still uncertainty and um, we're in the winter now. So people are going to be more isolated again, I think, and cases are rising again, all that. So from what you've learned over your life and through these interviews that you've been doing, learning about people's experience of this pandemic, is there anything you would want to say to people right now about um, this experience, I know everyone's experiencing something different, but is there any advice you have or just anything you might want to say to people who are listening, who are like, man, this is, this is getting low again. You know, the, the sad thing is it, it is low, right. And it's, it's, there's nothing anybody individually can do about it. Um, I, I, I guess I would just talk about these one of the things that has gotten me through this pandemic is, is some of the good things, right? Some of the inspiration I've gotten from my, my participants. Um, it's, it's talking about, you know, the, the um, owner of a, a bakery I talked to who put together $25, which where it was at cost or, or slightly above taking bake kits so that the, uh, the, the kids in her community could have something to do for an afternoon and then they could have a snack. Um, it was, it, it's the, uh, 
It's the people who have taken what they had and nobody's doing well, right? I, I talked to one person who they'd put their one employee who were one co-owner on, uh, on unemployment and they were looking at going on unemployment because there was just no more money in the business. Um, and, and still trying to find ways to, 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 to make their product available because what they did was they looked out into their community and they said, our product is essential. Even if it's not classified as an essential product, it, it brings people joy. It brings people, um, out of the house. It brings them happiness in some way. And that's, that's worth preserving if we can, if it's feasible, right? And, and taking huge sacrifices for themselves, right? Going on unemployment is, is, I don't know what the process is like, but I can't imagine it's glamorous or fun. Um, so it's, it's, you know, we're, we're, we're in the home stretch. Um, it's not easy. It's not going to be easier. Um, but if, if people look around, what I think they'll see is is reasons for hope and reasons for optimism and reasons to celebrate and reasons to see, okay, you know, this, this was a bad pandemic, but there are good people doing good work. Um, that's, that's good. That's, that's, you know, enough to get me out of bed on Tuesday morning. We'll see what happens Wednesday morning, but you know, that's good for now. I like that. Do you have time for me to ask you one more question, Zach? Absolutely. I, it's, you know, we're talking about the pandemic. I've got nothing else on. This is, <laughs> not I've got nothing else on. Even in a non-pandemic, this would be the highlight of my week. I'm having so much fun. You're, oh my gosh. I, oh, thank you. <laughs> I used to also record longer and something that in this pandemic and speaking of kind of like fatigue and not having as much energy, it's not the conversations I don't have the energy for, but the more I record, the more editing I have to do. And that became a real challenge for me, especially because then I, I added another podcast. I created a second podcast, a book club podcast at the start of the pandemic, not realizing like how much work it was going to add and how much screen time it is. Um, were you going to say something? Well, I, you know, you're, you're, it sounded, it sounded, I could hear you beating yourself up in your voice a little bit. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. And I, I don't think that it's it's a failure to try. You know, the fact that you tried and, or are trying and it's an ongoing process of, of you know, my October did not look good. Mm-hmm. But the, the process of getting back up, getting going, saying, okay, I've had, I've had some stumbles. Let's try this again. Oh, I still suck at it. Uh, this is my experience. Okay, let's keep, let's keep going. Mama, my, my mother would say, you know, get your ass going. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not sexy. Mm-hmm. It's, it's actually kind of embarrassing, right? When you think about how much little hour, at least I do, how much more work I could have gotten done, but giving yourself that space to say, okay, the, the past is whatever. Let's try today. Let's try see what's going on today. That's so helpful because, and, and I, I actually love doing the second book club podcast. It's been great but it's like more work and more screen time. But I, I think that's key. I love everything I do about my dissertation. I love my topic. I love the act of writing. I love getting that really good sentence out. I love sharing stories. Mm-hmm. And even then it's still a struggle. Mm-hmm. It's still like, oh man, I'm in the guest bedroom. Mm-hmm. Again, still. still <laughs> yeah. I, I haven't seen my friends who I normally bounce ideas back off. Yeah. Um, 
and and it's it's a struggle. I you know just to, before you ask your next question here, yeah. I, there's a friend of mine who we disagree on everything like politically. She's very liberal. I'm fairly liberal, but she's like way over there, and uh, we always have debates and and you know uh, nagging each other. And sometimes she just annoys me. Mm-hmm. Uh, sometimes I'm like, oh, just. But I had a Zoom with her maybe two months ago, and it was the it was the most fun I've had. Mm-hmm. Right? It was like you know, she, obviously she's my friend, but normally I'm like, oh, you know, we're gonna get into it, and it was like, no, let's get into it. Let's let's <laughs> let's go crazy today. Let's have some fun, and uh, it was just seeing people is so important. Yeah, Zach. I mean. You might have had a different experience, but on December 30th, when Martin and I and you and Jess, when we met for a little hike outside in that swamp uh, that was full of mud and thorns and poison ivy, and I know that you got very wet and very muddy, and it probably wasn't as much fun for you, Um, but I laughed like harder than I've laughed in so long. And it really felt like a game of um, the floor is lava. And it felt like we were like little kids in the woods for two hours. And it was a crazy, we had no idea that that was going to be such a swampy um, experience, but it was so good for me anyway. And just for the listeners, it was not a nice walking. It was, it was, my shoes still smell of swamp. (laughs) I saw the washing machine twice. Like it's just that's the that's the flavor they're going to be now. Um, but it was so much fun. You and Martin are very outdoorsy people, and you <laughs> clearly have a good you know physical strength because you were just navigating that thing like it was nothing. Um, but it, it it was the swamp that had no, no there was no bridge. There was no like walk. No. You were like jumping from root to root, yeah. or finding yourself a foot deep in mud, and and yeah. that's an exaggeration. And stuck in like a thorn bush. I, I got stuck in a thorn bush twice. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was just, I agree. It was the most fun I've had in months. Yeah. And, and I am a person who does not like getting wet or muddy. <laughs> yes. But it was, it was seeing you and Martin and like cracking jokes and mm-hmm. could not be beat. One of my favorite memories. Yeah. And it was, it's kind of interesting because it was interesting to have a challenge in some ways. It was like, it was like, you know, if we were just walking a path, I don't think we would, I think we still would have had a really nice time and like good conversation, but there was something about, oh, we have to get through this like challenge together. And it's kind of tricky. And sometimes we ended up in like ridiculous positions and it was like a game of twister and, you know, it, it was really interesting. And I'm going to remember that, I think, a lot more than if it had just been a smooth walk through the park, literally. Which, I mean, maybe you can make a metaphor for that, for the level of difficulty and the level of value that different things have in life. Um, you know, the more difficult sometimes, even if it's messy, mm-hmm. as the swamp was, <laughs> it's, as, it's an equal amount of fun. Yes. And I think the other thing I would say, because in the swamp, sometimes there were falls and you had to get back up, as you were saying about October and about my kind of self-judgment about (laughs) my own, uh, I don't know, my my podcasting during the pandemic or whatever. I think that's something that I've been working on and working with is I got to some pretty low places during the pandemic of like, 
uh, so paralyzed with anxiety and getting so kind of like anxious and a bit depressed that I was really having trouble doing like the basic things to take care of myself. And it felt like, oh gosh, like I'm a failure. Like how could I be (laughs) failing so hard at life, you know? Yeah. And just not being able to see the forest through the trees. And now I'm like doing a lot better. And I have to remind myself like that happens sometimes and it's okay. You know, the, the swamp just provides the perfect metaphor for that, it right? Because you put your foot in a foot of mud and you're, you're caked in the stuff, mm-hmm. but you get back on, you jump from root to root for a little bit, and then you put your, your foot in the mud again and yeah. it's cold and it's wet and it's nasty. And then you get out and you go, you jump from root to root a little bit more and then, oh, your butt's in the mud now. And you need help. I think that's the other thing. Like no one does it alone. Walking two hours through that swamp by myself probably wouldn't have been a super fun. I wouldn't, I might not have been laughing, you know, <laughs> like maybe, but <laughs> yeah, like I need it. There were times when I was like, Martin, I need your hand. You know, literally he would give me a hand or whatever. Or there was a time Martin, you know, like broke up some branches and made a, a little bridge at one particularly murky part. Um, we can't do it alone. And there are times that I feel ashamed about not you know, like, oh, like my sister came and brought me groceries once um, because I was having such a hard time getting myself to the grocery store. And I felt really ashamed of that and really like, no, I should be helping other people, you know, not having people help me. But it's just a fact that we don't do anything alone, right? In the same way that your research advisors are, help you with your dissertation, right? Like we just don't, we just don't actually do anything alone and it's okay to have to at times ask for help and receive help and then hopefully get stronger again and then be able to give help and just cycle through. Right. Totally. Okay. I'll, I'll bring us to that, that question. What's something that's making you feel alive lately? It's strapping on the mask and going and having socially distanced. Um, you know, I, 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 I want to be clear because this is a public forum mask on socially distanced social experiences mm-hmm. um like going through the swamp um or you know having a fire pit in the backyard mm-hmm. um doing it in a way that maximizes safety um because that that is key but it anytime i go and have a social experience like that even when i go to buy my groceries mm-hmm. it's seeing somebody else having a spontaneous conversation or, or having a conversation in a way that you know the the zoom is good but that has this like extra feature of somebody who's really there Mm -hmm. takes it to another level Mm -hmm. Um, and and it'll be you know two months of cold still um although you know i'm I'm from canada so this is what we experienced in july (laughs) and and that kind of sucks but we can still you know there's workarounds Put the mask on, stay socially distant, and you can go and 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 go for a walk with somebody, um, or have a campfire, right, which gives you the warmth, um, and that's that that's that gets me going, right? Yeah. I, if I've got one of those on my calendar, I uh, I'm excited, I'm ready to go for that. So, yep. Put on the uh, Canadians must know how to layer, right? Put on those layers. Well, there's a difference between and knowing how to do something and enjoying it. I hate layers. Oh, okay. I I, I feel I mean, you. I, I own one pair of shoes and they're slip-ons. <laughs> I just I just want to get out 
I yes. want to, I want to be as comfortable as possible. Yep. Well, hopefully we can socially distance again sometime soon. I've been really enjoying our game nights on zoom that even though it's zoom it still gives us a little something to look forward to. You know, I, I think that's, that's key too, is actually what, one of the things, so we have Tuesday nights is our, our night. And I think we've done Tuesday nights since November. Yeah. Sometime in November. Those are, those are having, having routine mm-hmm. and ha- knowing that I'm going, okay. You know, in, in, was it four days from now? I'm going to have some fun. Mm-hmm. That's nice. That's a real, yeah. you know, I, 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 sorry, I discounted that. I, I was talking all about being in person. Oh no, but, no. But, but the, the virtual stuff, um, especially when you're doing it with people who are so fun, like you and Martin, <laughs> that's, 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 that's fun too. That's ideal. Yeah. And being creative and mixing it up, I feel like is really helpful. Cause when you're just like, oh, we'll FaceTime and you're just staring at each other after 10 months, like you gotta, you gotta mix it up a little bit. There's not a lot going on in my life to talk about. I need right. <laughs> something in front of me, you know, what, what code words, code names, code, what? code names. Yep. Code names. You get to talk about what's happening in the code name and, mm-hmm. and, and it gives you that starting off point for conversation that makes it a little bit more natural and a little bit more fun. Yes, I completely agree. I find the, the structure of games very helpful for social situations. Totally. Well, Zach, this has been fantastic. This has been so fun. I hope um, you can have many more soul-nourishing, socially distant hangouts and uh, that your spirits uh, remain strong. I, I did ask winter. you what, what gets your spirit remaining strong. Oh, right now? But I hope you get more of them. Yeah. What is it? I think similar to you, like I don't do very many socially distant outside hangouts, but whenever I do, I'm like, oh, that felt really good. Um, and just getting outside and going for walks is, and not just my neighborhood, because in the winter, I can find that a bit depressing. Like you can always look for beauty, but there's something about like going to an actual park somewhere quiet where you can like see some birds and, you know, trees and meadows, um, and getting out into nature is very, very important. Yeah. For me. Absolutely. Thank you, Zach. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to the Perennials podcast. I'm Victoria Russell. If you enjoyed the episode, please share it with a friend, subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and leave a review on iTunes. It really helps other people to find the show. You can follow along on Instagram at Perennials Podcast, and feel free to send me an email at perennialspodcast at gmail.com. The song you're hearing now is I Orbit the Moon by Paul Finn.